0: Welcome to University of Iowa Insights, a monthly audio magazine featuring some of the world's leading thinkers, researchers, and teachers. In the April 2010 edition of our program, Christopher Clare talks with pediatrician Linda Cooper-Brown about kids who are picky eaters and how to encourage a balanced diet. Lois Gray interviews Susan Asseline, Associate Director of the College of Education's Bell and Blank Center about the first national center for twice exceptional students which is being established at the University of Iowa. And Nicole Reel chats with Abby Gruwell, a University of Iowa student who attended the climate exchange in Copenhagen and is active in environmental causes on campus.
1: Linda Cooper Brown of UI Children's Hospital. Why are kids picky eaters?
2: Some children have medical or physical problems um, or conditions that have prevented them from learning to eat a variety of foods. And then there are some children who develop food selectivity by either type or by texture because of some preference or unknown reason. Um, But no matter how the behavior starts, it often continues because the pickiness is to the child's advantage. He or she then has learned to avoid non-preferred or new foods Um, and get maybe the more preferred foods or some other desired outcome instead. So how
1: should parents deal with these finicky tastes?
2: Okay, Uh, several strategies that that come to mind. Um, Have have scheduled meals and snacks. Um, Don't allow your child to eat between the scheduled meals and snacks, so no grazing as we might call it. Offer small amounts of a variety of foods. And if your child refuses a food, offer it again at meals or snacks on other days and don't give up. Also, be a good role model. If um, You cannot expect your child to try new foods or eat a well-balanced diet if you don't uh, do it yourself
1: what shouldn't parents do?
2: One is um, do not make a request of your child that's going to result in you giving up or giving in. In other words, don't tell your child that he or she cannot leave the table until they've eaten a particular food um, because kids can be very stubborn and chances are they will be able to outweight you. The other is uh, don't become a short order cook and constantly make alternative meals. It's okay to occasionally prepare favorite foods but do so as part of the menu from the start and not because your child has refused your food selections at that meal.
1: How should parents introduce new foods to these picky eaters?
2: Um, Start with a small request, such as eating one small bite of a new or a non-preferred food, um, even allowing your child to select which food they want to try. And then provide access to a highly preferred activity immediately after that meal at which he or she has complied with that small request. Rewards aren't going to be needed uh, in the long run once the child uh, gets into the habit of at least trying a new food.
1: So should food itself ever be used as a reward?
2: I would discourage food as a reward when possible. Actually special activities and privileges, especially ones that involve parents and peers, are often uh, a more powerful reward than food.
0: I'm speaking with Susan Asseline, Associate Director of the University of Iowa College of Education's Bell and Blank Center, who is also a professor of school psychology. Asseline and her colleagues are working to create a National Institute for Twice Exceptionality at the University of Iowa, making the institute the first of its kind in the nation. Susan, what does the term twice exceptional mean, and how will this institute help these students?
3: Well, for special educators, the term twice exceptional tends to mean two or more disabilities. But for gifted educators, it means a gifted student with one or more disability that's been diagnosed. This is a simple definition, and it doesn't really convey the complex nature of this entire phenomenon. Sometimes the next question after this, and I don't know if this is your question, is how many students are twice exceptional? That's also not easily determined because of the lack of national consensus about identification of giftedness and diagnosis of
0: disability. So how might a parent or educator know if a daughter, son, or student is possibly twice exceptional?
3: Parents and educators are both very astute and oftentimes will say to us, we know that our student is very bright. He might be really verbal or she might have trouble with writing assignments or staying focused. It's not uncommon actually to hear that people think that a student is lazy or unmotivated. However, my colleagues, Dr. Megan Foley, Nick Pond, and Claire Whiteman and I contend that it's the rare student who's actually lazy. If there's an inconsistency in behavior, then we say let's dig into the cognitive, affective, and achievement profiles to better understand what's happening. The only way to effectively rule out the presence of a disability is to have a comprehensive evaluation by a professional
0: with a strong background in both gifted and special education. And Susan, why are these students at significant risk in America's schools and what is to be gained by identifying these students and providing resources?
3: They are at risk because their talent area may go undeveloped. When talent is not developed, it's a personal family, community, and national loss. Our job is to discover talent and development. A disability may impede that discovery or the development, but once it's diagnosed, then
0: intervention and accommodations can be implemented. Barriers are removed. We've been speaking with Susan Asseline, Associate Director of the University of Iowa's Bell and Blank Center. For more information, visit the University of Iowa Bell & Blank Center website at www.education.uiowa.edu.
1: Senior political science and international business major, Abby Gruwell works at the Office of Sustainability and is active in environmental organizations and events on campus. She was part of a University of Iowa group that attended the Climate Change Summit in Copenhagen in December. Today she explains what it was like and what she learned from the experience. Abby, for people who aren't familiar, could you explain what the
4: summit was all about? Sure, so there have been a number of conferences. Uh, regarding the climate uh, exchange. And they've been going on, I guess there have been 14 of them before. This is the COP15, so uh, it's really the goal to bring everyone together and uh, create a binding commitment to reduce emissions and set out a framework about how they were going to do that.
1: Who were all the players that were in Copenhagen?
4: Well, there were, uh, you know, 193 countries, and so it was really interesting to see uh, you know, countries I'd never even heard of before and they sort of acted together in blocks. There were the G77, the, the smaller poor countries, generally African countries, then supported by China and uh, India and sort of depending on the agreement a few other people. And the U.S. was of course a major player and then uh, Europe was a major player and they kind of acted in in separate groups. How long was this conference and what came out of it? Uh, the conference was two weeks long and we got to be there for a week. And uh, it was very, very exciting and very tense the whole, the whole time. And what came out of it was the Copenhagen Accord. And a lot of people see this as a failure, but I, uh, just from my experience of being there, am excited and impressed that they actually came up with something because the last week it looked like it was just going to be a total failure, that they were going to not even assign or agree to anything. And so the Copenhagen Accord, at least lays out what countries are going to try to reduce how much and even though it's not legally binding it's important for them to at least set that goal. So how many
1: people from the UI went and, and what was the, the purpose for this UI contingent being there?
4: Sure. Um, there were about eight or ten of us students and then there were probably six or so faculty and uh, sort of university affiliate type people, and then United Nations Association went as well. And it was really, I think, for us, almost just educational and being able to go there and take our experiences back to Iowa and share what we've learned about international climate change and and what needs to happen to move forward on that. So what did you guys do while you were there? We went to the conference for two days. It was really difficult to get in because the security was absolutely outrageous and they only let a certain number of people in per day. And so for getting in two days was pretty incredible. And we just would spend the entire day there going to side events. Um, we usually weren't allowed to go into the area with all of the heads of state, but we went to a lot of side events. We went to other conferences in the city. There were a lot of side conferences. Uh, we talked with a lot of people about climate change and went to presentations. So it was really a, a packed week. What what exactly did you learn from this experience? Uh, I think I learned that it's such a more complicated issue than everybody puts it out to be, and that we really need to take action on the on the local level and on the state level before it can be manifested internationally, and that there's so many different strategies that we're not focusing on right now, uh, and we can't rely on, you know, these huge political forces to. You know, give up a lot of their political will at home to make a legally binding agreement that they're not sure is actually going to happen. So I think just action on the state level is the way to go. Since returning
1: from the summit in Copenhagen, Abby has been involved in organizing a conference about environmental issues at the UI. The Green Summit will take place Friday, April 23rd, during Earth Week. For more information, visit www.thegreensummit2010.com.
0: This podcast was produced by the University of Iowa Office of University Relations. For more information on our podcasts or to subscribe, visit us at news.uiowa.edu.